All right, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Good to see you. You definitely know how to sing. I'm telling you, that was awesome. We think our worship team, what a great job today. It's so good. And really great to see. Uh, I love to think of a worship team as being leaders of the choir. And so the choir showed up today. Good job. That was awesome. Really cool. Hey, in your worship folder, you have something that looks like this. Would you take this out real quick? I want to give a little explanation. My name is Todd Arnett, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. And um, privilege to get to be here with you today. We have some great stuff going on at Trinity. And one of those is we have some staff changes I wanted to make you alert to. Flip to the side with good-looking Doug on there. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Doug came to me. You know, Doug had served as uh, our church administrator, did an amazing job. And within that, Doug came to me last Thanksgiving and said, hey, Todd, I've really enjoyed this, but I only said I'd do it for a season. And the season's running out. I really want to invest in my grandkids. And how can you say no to that? How good is that? So Doug's actually here in this service. Doug, would you stand? We just want to thank you. Would you do that real quick? So Doug has done a great job. He and Lynn Ray are taking some new leadership with what's going out um, kind of an outside this building on Sunday mornings, and we'll tell you more about that later. We're excited about that. But as a result of Doug stepping aside, Scott Clayton's done such a great job on our staff, been on our team for a year and a half, two years, and now he's actually stepping into a role that takes about 75% of what Doug was doing. And as a result of that, Scott can't do his old job and this job. So we actually hired you. Notice on the back, Julie Memory. She's been a part of Trinity for a long time. She's a part-time bookkeeper now. She actually just left to the Ukaipo School District and came here like literally over the weekend. She started here on Monday, and she's doing a great job already, so we're excited for her in that role. Then if you flip it over, you notice a few weeks ago I mentioned about Chris Dowdy joining our worship uh, leadership team. So, uh, so excited about that. And uh, so, and again, to remind you, Bill Bourne's not going anywhere. I had made that uh, error in my first service announcement and had a great group of people gang up on me in between and say, hey, make sure you clarify that. So I've been trying to clarify, but Chris is going to join Bill and they're going to together make a great team. uh, And I'll tell you more about his role a little bit more in the future. But then look across from there. Luke Angus is coming to us. That's his wife, Paige, and their two sons. Uh, in our transitions, Hilke's moved into our student ministries pastor, and what that means is he's going to be hands-on with our high school students and give leadership to just a vision and direction of 6th through 12th grade. Luke is going to join us and be our middle school director, and that whole process, we're just really blessed. You're really going to love to get to know him and his family. He'll start kind of later this month in August as their family's currently transitioning right now coming down from Big Bear. So just wanted to make you aware of some of those transitions so you can see those in front of you. And as you interact with some of our new staff members, especially, you can thank Doug and and interact with these new three as they join us on the team. And we're real excited about the staff that God's brought here. Well, for you today, you join us on the last day of a series we've been uh, engaging in the months of June and July called Faith Steps. And if you have a Bible today, I'll give you a heads up. You can open it to Nehemiah. Nehemiah's in the Old Testament. It's really pretty much the last historical book before we get into um, uh, things like the, the books of wisdom in your Bible, like uh, Psalms, Proverbs, etc. So Nehemiah will be in chapter one today. If you have, by the way, notes in your worship folder, if you want to take those out, those will help you as well with some of uh, our filling in the blanks. But here's the point. What we've been doing in this series is we've, we've noticed that many of us will see the faith of people in our lives, 
People we're connected to, and we'll see the way they trust God for very significant things, and we will really admire that. We'll be encouraged by that. We'll even tell them it's amazing what you're trusting God for. And yet that faith that you see demonstrated somehow doesn't translate to the very thing you're facing. The thing that you're staring at, you somehow think God must be big enough for what they face, but he's somehow not big enough for what I'm staring at. There's a problem there. And, and we notice that even the, these great narratives from the former Testament, the Old Testament, they're so instructive to us, not just to say, look how people trusted God for big things, but to say, look how people trusted God for big things, and you can too. Because that God has not changed. He's the same one that you and I pray to. He's the same one that you and I live for today. And so we're excited in this series to keep bringing up these various narratives to kind of go, God, what is it you want me to trust you for? And today we're looking at this person, Nehemiah, and the big idea is we're trying to talk about this concept, what breaks God's heart that burdens you that you should do something about? Here's the situation, briefly the context. This is a pretty dark hour in Israel's history. They had actually, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, both been defeated, both been destroyed. The northern kingdom of Israel literally scattered to the winds, as well as people from outside of Israel had came to settle there. And then conversely, the people of Judah had been shipped off to Babylon. Babylon was the nation who overtook them. Now that world power has been seceded by Persia. Persia is the power of the day that we'll be looking at today. And in this season, Persia has a different foreign policy than Babylon did. Babylon was, we're going to cart you off and put you in a compound in our land. Persia was like, no, we'll send you back to your land and just tax you to death. That's kind of what we're going to do. And so that's what happened. They had allowed uh, exiles to return home. That's great news, actually. That's a, that's a glimmer of light within this whole landscape. Yet within that, in that time period, what had happened, the exiles had come home, but they had not begun to occupy the city of Jerusalem. They were living in the outskirts because the city of Jerusalem had walls that had fallen down. They, they had no ability to support themselves and to be a place that was safe. You, you live here in Southern California. I'm pretty sure that most of the communities you live in are not walled. Now, some of them are gated, okay? I'll give you that. But this is a little bit different. These are walls that meant this is safe. And people who would come to, to be outside forces to, uh, to take us couldn't do it when good walls were in place. And by the way, Israel had seen their share of that. So there's no way I'm going to go occupy a city that has walls that are falling down because there's no defense, that was the issue that was going to lay in front of Nehemiah. So as we look at this today, here's kind of the next step idea for us that I really want to push on from the very beginning today, and it's this. When you have something that burdens your heart, you can see it in the notes or up on the screen. When you have something that burdens your heart, the idea is when it breaks the heart of God, go beyond your feelings to take action. And even as you read that, you know so many of us have been there before. We have been burdened by something we hear about, something we see, but it doesn't move us past just feeling bad. And that's the point of what we see in Nehemiah's kind of example to us. He moved past feeling bad to actually acting on what broke the heart of God. And so I'm stoked to get into this with you today. Number one in your notes. Oh, by the way, in your notes today, we're going to fashion the points of our notes kind of along uh, Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah, four times in the book, will cry out to God, God, please remember me 
as I'm doing these things on your behalf and for your people. It's kind of an interesting prayer. Don't let this go unnoticed, okay? I'm really sacrificing here. Nehemiah is a very interesting leader, and that's one of those things. So in our notes today, we're going to use our points the same way. You please God. That's the idea of Nehemiah's prayers. I want to please you, God. You please God when you're burdened by what breaks his heart. We're going to pick it up today, Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. And by the way, how cool is that name? Lots of going on. Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Well, let's do this today. Let me introduce you to these characters. Nehemiah, um, we're introducing him. Obviously, the book is named after him. One thing we won't get into today is the amazing leader that Nehemiah is. If you've ever wondered, God, I want to be a better leader. I want to learn how to influence people and really direct some, some mission. Nehemiah is your guy. What we won't get into today is the amazing way that he garnered people and pulled them together for this incredible task of rebuilding the walls. And not just the walls, over a short short period of time, it was in like 59 days, they had these walls rebuilt. And it was because he was so, not just a guy who could lead from a power of position, but a guy who got in the trenches and who was with the people doing the work. That form of leadership really speaks to me. Not someone who can lead from a position, but someone who leads to relationship and gets down in the trenches of what's going on. Also an incredible encourager. Continue to remind people, don't believe what you hear. There were lots of voices trying to keep them from doing what God had called them to do. Don't listen to the criticism. Keep your nose down and keep doing what you're called to do. So just a really amazing leader. Also someone who gave to his people as the king we're gonna see today gives him portions to take care of this project, he continues to share it with those around him. So in many, many ways, an exemplary leader that you might want in your own leadership today, learn some principles that come out of that life. Today, we just have time literally for the first chapter and a little bit of chapter two to see this first idea of that of the walls being broken down. He's burdened by that. What's he going to do about it? So this is Nehemiah. Notice, by the way, we said that Nehemiah doesn't live in Israel. He lives in Susa. Susa is the capital city of Persia and what is in today modern Iran. So this is far, far away from Israel. He is in exile. So we're not talking about a guy who's burdened for what other people are facing. He himself is in a very tenuous position as an exile who's been displaced. Now, what the, the narrative happens, his brother comes to town, and his questions are not about, hey, tell me about how the family's doing, tell me about my relatives. His key question is, I want to know how are the exiles doing and how is the city of Jerusalem? Remember, not a lot of social media, okay, back there in this time, not a lot of great phone calls or texting opportunities. So it would literally be you're dependent on, is someone going to come from a place and tell you of what's going on? So this is a really important time when he got to hear about this. Now, in this reality, I want to walk us through today some different steps that Nehemiah took specifically. The first one's in your notes. He sought information about the issues, 
He sought out information about the issues. So it, it's not as just though I'm gener- generally interested in what is going on with God's people. Very specific. How are the exiles doing? How is the city of Jerusalem? And, and what he hears in response is something that was really, really bad news. He cared deeply about the things that God cared about because God wanted to re-inhabit the city and have it thrive again. And how do we know that? How do we know this was a part of God's plan? See, one of the things we'll talk about today, when you think about the things that burden you, we want to make sure they're in line with the things that burden God. Okay, that's a really key part of this whole idea. Let me give you a quick example. I didn't tell Aaliyah I was going to use her, so here we go. Okay, I'm telling you now. We good? Gotcha. Okay. So Aaliyah was in the fourth grade, and um, we were recounting this a little bit on our vacation. And uh, she and a couple of friends got this incredible burden to save the polar bears. We lived in the high desert, right? <laughs> polar bears everywhere, right? So I don't know if this came out of a class or a, some kind of thing, but some kind of, maybe they're just cute and cuddly. I don't know what it was, but we got to save the polar bears. And I remember as we were talking about that, her mom and I talking with her, we're like, oh, okay, it's interesting. What do you want to do? Oh, we want to, you know, have all this fundraising going on at school. And we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And we're trying to play out, what's that look like, her going to talk to her principal about raising money for the polar bears? And uh, we thought it might fall flat. And not to say that God doesn't care about polar bears, but maybe God cared about things a little bit more local, a little more geographically close to where we lived. And the time that this was coming up was kind of in late fall. And so one of the things we realized is the high desert's got pretty extreme temperatures, really hot, really cold. And so there are a lot of people, even within that school or school district, who didn't have warm coats. So all we did is we just kind of turned the conversation a little bit and said, polar bears really do matter. There's no doubt about it. I wonder, though, if the people who live here, especially the kids who live here, that might be a thing to even think about maybe before we say polar bears. Maybe we get to that later, but let's think about this. And as we just began to have some conversations, her heart really began to change, and she began to go, you know, that's a great idea. It'd be really important that people can be warm in the winter when maybe they can't. And she had noticed that when her friends came to school, often it would be, you know, 40, 50 degrees out, and they're in shorts and a T-shirt. And she's like, either you're dumb or you don't have a coat, one of the two, you know. And I'm not sure which it was, obviously. But, um, but the bottom line is there was this need. And so basically she went to her teacher and asked her teacher about this idea. Teacher then in turn went and talked to the principal. And they gathered so many coats. It was a coat drive. Basically they'd never done it at their school before that it literally took two of our cars to transport all the coats that were donated to give to our local area. I think we brought it to our homeless shelter and some were kept for the school. That's from a fourth grader. That's pretty cool. It would be a year or two later that she would put together a thing that was a birthday party for the homeless people that were a part of the homeless shelter that was administering in our town. God puts burdens on people's hearts that sometimes just need a little direction, just a little bit of coaching, like, hey, especially when it's our kids. That's a great idea, but I love the fact that you're burdened. What would it be to be burdened for maybe something a little more close to home, a little more tangible? And that's kind of how the story goes. For Nehemiah, the story was this. He was incredibly burdened for something he knew God wanted. And how did he know that? Track this. All the way back in Deuteronomy. I keep loving this book. In Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the people. He's talking to people, by the way, who would have been the great, 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 great grandparents of Nehemiah. This is way, way back. This is the generation that's going to go take the land. They haven't even entered yet. They have no king. They have nothing. Moses says, I've laid before you blessings. I've laid before you cursings. I know you're going to fail. You're going to choose the things that are going to curse you. As you do, you're going to be scattered to the nations. 
And yet, because God's a God of redemption, even in that scattering, he's going to bring you back and he's going to settle you back in the land. That had been written in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me show you where. Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's on the screen. You don't have to turn there. When all these blessings and cursings I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. So God said long, long time ago, you're going to be scattered if you walk this way. And when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, watch, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. God said, God had promised, I am going to bring you back. Nehemiah knew that. And as the exiles were brought back, he knew this was the plan of God. He knew it was the faithfulness of God. And so now he said, in order for them to thrive there, they're going to need walls. They're going to need to have a place of protection. So when Nehemiah heard this information, it wasn't just news. It was tragic. It was incredibly saddening to him, powerful to him. That's the second thing I want you to see today of these steps is that he was deeply affected by bad news. He was deeply affected by bad news. So he hears this news that the walls are not being attempted even to be rebuilt. And he knows the city will not be repopulated, re-inhabited as a result. It wrecks him. We saw in our text, it wrecks him to the point of mourning and fasting and prayer. This is a big deal. Here's the question for you today. What wrecks you? What are you burdened by? Because I have a feeling that because of, and again, this is an interesting thing. Remember, Nehemiah waited months to hear back just news of how things were going in Jerusalem. You can hear, you pull out your phone right now, you're going to get all the top headlines. And you get it all the time every day. Just in this nation alone, we're not even talking about the rest of the world, just in this country alone, the daily, the hourly reports of people killing one another, of people being trafficked as slaves, of stories of child abuse and neglect, tales of domestic abuse, babies being aborted, missions, or I'm sorry, marriages being divided. This is going on all the time. And for some of us, it's done this. It's just caused us to become numb. There's too much to care about. There's too much to act upon. I don't even know where to begin. I have a feeling I'm talking to most of us right now. I just am overwhelmed, Todd, if I'm going to be real honest. I'm overwhelmed by the the tragedy, by the challenge, by the chaos in our world. I don't even know where to start. Here's what I want you to hear today. You don't have to be equally burdened for everything. God is, but that's because God's a very unique being, and you're not him. There can be a thing. There can be a thing that breaks the heart of God that also burdens you deeply. And that's the thing I want to talk about today. The thing I want you to see as you look at these steps, these faith steps that Nehemiah took, think about that burden that's on your heart and see the parallel lines today. The problem is often this, by the way, within our Christian community. Here's, here's, uh, uh, you know, Pete. Pete is really burdened for the needs in our community related to the homeless. And here's, um, you know, Jennifer over here. And Jennifer is really burdened for the needs of unwed moms. And, and as they're talking, moms that are trying to figure out what to do. And as they're talking, what's often interesting is they're deeply burdened for these things. They both matter. They're both important to the heart of God. But because they're different, they can't see the value of each other's burden. And we usually have a lot of conflict and a lot of grabbing at resources because it, we just got to get my thing funded. Here's the thing. That challenge we're not talking about today, I know it's a challenge. 
Today we're starting all the way back to square one. Is there anything that burdens you? Because acting on your burden begins by being burdened. You're like, Todd, you are so wise. I know, I know, it's powerful. <laughs> powerful truth. So out of that burden, you're led to action. That, that's what we're getting at today. More than just feeling bad, out of the burden, you're led to action. And I want to say the most important action of all, prayer. Number two in your notes today, you please God when you ask him. You please God when you ask him to do what he can do for what burdens you. You please God when you come to him first in prayer, in petitionary prayer about the thing that breaks your heart that you know breaks his own. Here's what I mean by that. Continuing in Nehemiah, now chapter one, verse five. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess my sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's family. I confess that these that we've committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. By the way, this is going to look really familiar in just a second. You said this, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. There your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. We read at the end of that last part of scripture that Nehemiah was moved to prayer, he's moved to fasting, he's moved to mourning. And that's the next step I want you to see in these action steps he took. He prayed to God about what had burdened him. He went to God with the things that burdened him. And, and I want you to see the content of Nehemiah's prayer. To me, probably one of the most powerful prayers in all of scripture because of some of these facets. Number one, look at the very, very high view of God that Nehemiah has. He's calling upon the creator of the universe. Here's the interesting thing. When you go to pray on behalf of other people and their needs in a petitionary sense, guess what? You're praying to the same God. How easy is it to forget the resources he has? Nehemiah begins by saying, let me remember, let me remind myself who I'm talking to. You are creator, all-powerful, Yahweh God. The other thing that is powerful to me is it talks about uh, he, Nehemiah and his prayer. He has a very deep awareness of who he is of who his people are. He asks again for forgiveness. God, forgive me, forgive our people, forgive my father's family. I mean, look at the rings about that. Forgive our nation, forgive my relatives, forgive me. I understand we all are part of the problem. People who are burdened by what breaks the heart of God, at least those who are gonna be effective in next steps, guess what's really true about them? they always realized that they were a part of the problem first. Isn't that interesting? 
Rather than high and mighty, rather than I've got my act together, rather than I can't believe you idiots are doing these horrible things, they begin by going, I've been a part of the problem. Even if I've never done that thing, I've not done anything about it until now. I've not been someone who's wanted to champion the cause of the weak. I've kept silent. Whatever it is, they recognize I had a part to play in the fact that this was outside of the design of God. But now I'm owning it, and I want to move forward. Nehemiah owned his part of the problem. Also, Nehemiah reminds God of what God had promised his ancestors. He doesn't do it because he thinks God forgets. By the way, a lot of Israelites thought he had. Remember, it had been generations of just constant turmoil. It had been now two generations since they had been exiled to Babylon and now to Persia. Some people had given up, just saying God does not listen, God has forgotten. Nehemiah didn't. And Nehemiah referenced the exact passage we looked at in Deuteronomy 30. God, you said when you scattered us, you'd bring us back together. You have, you have allowed exiles to come home now. God, now out of that burden, we need to do something about that. And he finally finishes with a petition to have success when he talks to the king of Persia. You see, what we have to do today, we have to get over the idea that prayer is a really good thing to do after you've done everything else. We just keep acting that way. And I'm not trying to wag my finger at anyone in particular. I look in the mirror when I say this. But here's what's happening. When we do a bunch of things to try to bring solution to a problem and then nothing works well, we might as well pray. What we're doing is we're betraying the idea that we believe prayer to be supplemental, not fundamental to our lives. God has said, this is where you start. I kind of quoted this last week, but I wanted to make sure I gave it to you well today. It's in your notes and on the screen. You can do more than pray after you have prayed but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. This is where it begins. Bring what breaks God's heart, what has broken your heart, bring it to God and begin there because that is active. Stop thinking that prayer is passive. You are calling upon the creator of the universe to act does not sound passive to me at all. Prayer, when it's a petitionary prayer, prayer is actively entrusting the problem and the solution to the only being who can actually act in a manner that brings resolution and hope. Can I say that one more time? Prayer is you actively entrusting the problem and the solution to the only being that can actually act in a manner to bring resolution and hope. So obviously, we go to God in prayer first. Don't think for a moment that it's passive. It's the essential beginning for how you're to respond to what you're burdened for. And that brings us to point number three today. You please God when you do what you can do for what burdens you. That's a lot of you, by the way. I counted those last time. I think that's four you's. You please God when you do what you can do for what burdens you. I'm tired just by saying that. Pick it back up. The end of chapter one of Nehemiah. I was the cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. 
The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting next to him or beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I also have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Watch this. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now, we're going to find out something really important about Nehemiah that we hadn't known up till now. We had said that he was a displaced Jew living in Susa, living under Persian rule. There were lots of them. But the part we didn't tell you was the very first thing we read. I was cupbearer to the king. Okay. Now, and a lot of us, by the way, it's like, well, I've never had that role myself. I don't know what that means. Well, well let's back it up a little bit. Okay. This was huge. This was an incredible place of responsibility and influence. Remember we said this last week, we were talking about Naaman and talking about the way that God used slave girls to be influential so that he would go see the prophet Elisha. We said God used people who'd been displaced. This girl could have been incredibly bitter to God, but she said, no, Elisha, the prophet of God, is who he needs to see. Sent him God's way. Well, we also said last week that God used all kinds of his people in very unique ways Uh, All of them start at the same place. They started as slaves or they started at exiled people, but some of them rose to great positions of prominence. Joseph becomes number two in the world power Egypt because of supernatural things that God does to get him there. Daniel and his friends became incredibly significant leaders in the nation of Babylon when they had been exiled during that season, and now Esther. Esther becomes the queen of Persia through an interesting providential beauty pageant. God puts her in that role. Talk about someone who has the king's ear, and now we read of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah becomes his cupbearer. All people that God ascended through ranks, not because they were so ambitious, they were slaves, they were exiles, but God raises them because of their character and because of his will. God places this interesting burden in Nehemiah's heart for the walls to be rebuilt. But watch this. Nehemiah was just not just any old Jew who'd been exiled to Persia. He was a specific Jew who had a specific role and responsibility to the very king himself. Imagine it this way. Imagine that another Jewish man, another Jewish woman, doesn't matter, they were exiled to Persia, and they go, oh, God, I've heard this report that exiles are back in the land, but they're not rebuilding the walls. They're not going to reoccupy the city. It lays in ruins. This is an abomination to your name because you've given us this opportunity. They're broken over this reality, but they have nothing they can do about it except for we can pray, And we can even put a band of people together. Maybe if we are allowed to go back, we'll be in. I mean, all these kinds of things that were much lower levels of opportunity. God had supernaturally, strategically placed Nehemiah in this role. 
And let's talk about the role for a little bit. Cupbearer to the king. All over, even just when you look at biblical history, even in in God's uh, nation of Israel and Judah, there were so many attempts to kill a king and put a new regime in power. So much more so even in the pagan world. So Artaxerxes has a very important role he sets up in his kingdom, and that's of cupbearer. Because one of the easiest ways to get rid of the king is just to put something in the wine. So Nehemiah raises, we don't really even understand all the things that went into how he raises to this level of responsibility, but had to be partly to do because he was honest and trustworthy. He was reliable and responsible. And so Nehemiah, what he would do daily, whenever he would bring a drink to the king, he would do two things. He would, number one, he would taste it and make sure if there was any poison, he's the guy who goes down, not the king. And he'd also tell the king, this is actually really good stuff. That was his job. And it it sounds so small and minor, but it was huge related to security. He was in the inner cabinet of King Artaxerxes. And it's on this particular day he brings the cup that he's going to have this conversation. You might have noticed, by the way, the month that Nehemiah goes to approach King Artaxerxes. We said that he got the news from his brother in the month of Kislev, but you read it was the month of Nisan is when he finally goes to talk to him. And and we realize actually that's about four months, four months time from when he hears of the problem to when he approaches the king. Now, some of us would be critical of that and go, why didn't you jump on that? This is a big deal. Go and talk to the king immediately. I'm anything but critical of, of Nehemiah about that. Because in that time of mourning, in that time of fasting, in that time of prayer, he was able to gather his thoughts, he was able to consider what he might say, and he waited for the opportune time. Here's another step in your notes. He didn't impulsively act, but allowed time to act wisely. He didn't impulsively act, but allowed time to act wisely. That might have been the whole beginning of the end had Nehemiah heard the news from his brother, ran to the king and said, oh, king, this horrible thing's happened. The city walls that you allowed people to go back to city walls are not being rebuilt. And the king says, what should I do? I don't know. Let's just do something. Okay, people who sit in positions of power rarely respond well to that. Instead, it gave Nehemiah time to gather his thoughts. He acted wisely instead. So he senses this is finally the right time to approach his boss, and his boss isn't just anybody. Persia's the world power at this time, and he has the ear to the king. That's another thing in your notes. He engaged the resources and relationships that he had available to him. Nehemiah engaged the resources and relationships he had available to him. We already said there were so many Jews that could have been burdened with the same burden, maybe even were, but didn't have the option. Don't you love that in the story of Esther? Remember that great phrase? For such a time as this. God has uniquely put you in this role so you can speak, so you can represent Nehemiah the same way. For such a time as this, you've been placed in this position. I want to do this. I want to give you a bit of a caveat to this message. I want to say this. I am not the king of Persia, and neither are any of the other pastors at Trinity Church. For some of us, this is what you're hearing today. I have had this ministry idea for so long. All I waited was for Todd to say the word, and he did today. I want to reach Parcheesi players like nobody's business, right? Because Parcheesi players need Jesus. There's no doubt about that. 
And, and in that, you, you've now heard this idea, God's burned you for something, you go get them. And by the way, I love the fact that you have a heart for Parcheesi players because it's not about the game, it's about the people. That's great. Here's the problem, though, is that in our minds, if we just begin now to take this thought and go, I have a ministry program, I have an event we have to do, you're missing the point today. Let me give you two reasons why. Number one, when Nehemiah felt this burden, who did he go to? He went to a pagan king. He didn't start by who was in his own group. He started by going to people who had resources and authority. That's often going to be where your burden is going to take you. It's the people who really can make real decisions, have real resources to meet needs. The second thing is this, though. So many times when our mind begins to think about something that burdens us, we go instantly to a program. Where rather, I would want to encourage you to go, God, how can you simply use me? My, my things that I actually have resources to, the relationships I have, how can you put me in motion? Because here's what I want you to hear. God has already done some amazing things at Trinity Church through the unique burdens he's placed on people. I'm not trying to say this has never happened or that it never will again. But listen to this for a little bit. Listen to the ministries at Trinity Church that have come from, they've been birthed from people who've been burdened by what breaks the heart of God. Ministries that meet the needs of the disabled. Ministries of hospitality to foreigners when they come and live here in our Inland Empire. A burden to build homes across the border. Meeting the basic needs of education and after-school care. You heard it today, Micah House, it's what we do. You heard about Ohana today, and Ohana has this intense understanding that, God, you have put people in foreign fields, but they need encouragement. And out of that, we want to be a source of that to their children especially. These are all great ministries that have that birth out of the burden that God has put on us. So it's not on the one hand to say that Trinity doesn't do that. We definitely do that. But it's on the other hand to say, maybe your next step isn't a ministry action plan. Maybe instead it's, God, I have a burden for this thing. Begin to lay upon my heart the plan you have. It took Nehemiah four months. Four months before he was ready to lay this out and give it to the king. And that's the part of the narrative today I think I'm most impressed by. Is during those four months, what he prayed about, what he planned for, those are the things that he brought. Look at your last thing in in this part of your notes. He prepared a plan rather than just made an emotional plea. He prepared a plan rather than just made an emotional plea. You see, Nehemiah knew what he was going to say. He didn't know if the king was going to be agreeable to it, but he already knew, given the opportunity, this is what I'm going to lay on the king. And think of the plan he laid out. It was huge. He asked for the ability to be released from his job in what would be 12 years. 12 years he'd be gone from Susa to Jerusalem, not just to rebuild the wall, but to give direction and leadership in that city. He asked for all the building materials they would need for the gates, for the walls, and for the residence in which he would live. And he asked for armed guards to accompany them from Susa all the way to Jerusalem. That is a big request. And that's what he put before the king. What he didn't do is the day he heard about it, like we said a minute ago, run to the king and just beg for something, anything. Instead, he thought, prayed, and came with a plan. So how does this land in our lives today? How do we begin to do this? I want to say from the beginning, Nehemiah, the example, one thing that maybe kind of falls apart for us is that he went, God burned him with a task, with a project. That, that might be the thing that God has burned you with, but most likely it's not. Most likely he's burned you with something that's on a large scale that might not have a solve even in your lifetime. 
But I don't want you to be discouraged by that. Instead, I want you to say this, God, whatever role it is, God, whatever next step you would call me to, little old me, use me. That's all. That, and that's the only thing that God holds you responsible for. It's not what you couldn't do, not the resources you didn't have, but the ones that you did. Let's say this. Let's say you're burdened by people in your relational world who don't follow Jesus yet. People you really care about, people you've done life with, people that you just know, man, you really need Jesus in your life. What, What can you do about that? Well, we already know that God is the one who saves people, but how can you partner with him? You can begin with what we said today. You can begin by praying praying for them intently, praying for them consistently. You can begin by further investing in their lives. You already have a connection, make much of it. You can begin inviting them to things here at Trinity Church as an entry point to get them aware of the Jesus that you love so much. Maybe you have a burden for starving children around the world and you go, God, I don't even know how to begin to affect that. Guess how you start? You sponsor a kid through Compassion International. You sponsor a kid through World Vision. You start at least with one because our problem has been, I just feel bad about things, but I never tend to do anything about it. Do something. 30 some odd bucks a month, start by sponsoring a kid. You're burdened for the fact that when people come to Trinity Church, you really want them to feel welcomed. You want them to feel like they can instantly be a part, they can belong here. Guess what? You can be involved in our greeter team and our ushering team and, and really be hands-on in making sure that happens. And you would say, Todd, I don't, oh, that's great. When would I do that? I have the answer next week. Take a look in your worship folder up on the screen. This is our new series we start in the month of August. And it's this idea of where you fit at Trinity. The first two weeks, a total focus on you finding a a serving role that matches your gifts. The second two weeks and finding a group of which to belong. That's what we're going to focus on. And you can take that next step to say, God, I have a burden for this at Trinity Church. I want to get involved. Here's how. Let that be today. The biggest thing about today, don't just feel bad about the things going on in your world that don't align themselves with God's design, take a step of action. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the example of Nehemiah. Thank you that when he heard bad news, he didn't just feel bad. But God, you began to burden and break his heart. There are many of us in this room today, God, that have already had that burden, we've already acted upon it. Would you give courage to those, endurance to those who have, that they would keep on keeping on? There are others here, God, maybe the majority of us who have just felt bad about things, but never really taken a step of action. God, move us to prayer. Let prayer be the bedrock. Let prayer be our first reaction to the things in our world that break your heart. And God, increase the burden and give us direction, give us a plan of God, how you could use us. You may be here today and you would say, you know, this is all great, but the problem is I I really, I'm not like Nehemiah in the sense of I really have no connection to God. He deeply loved God and was burdened by what broke God's heart. I, I just don't have a relationship with God at all yet. I want to tell you, if that's you and you're here today, I have great news for you because that can change right now. It changes through the lens of the ABCs. A is admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. You recognize there's a problem in the relationship and it's on you. B is believe. Believe that God sent his one-of-a-kind son into our world, the God-man Jesus. And Jesus lived a sinless life. 
Jesus died a sacrificial death. Jesus was raised supernaturally from the dead. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available and see his choose. Choose to begin living your life in the pattern that Jesus left for you. Join him in the way that he's rescued you, that you could be involved in other people's rescue and realize that the hope of heaven is yours. You can make that decision today. And if you haven't yet, and I would beg you, don't leave here before you have. Father, we love you this week. Move us beyond feeling bad to taking action about the things you've burned our hearts with. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.